0: Welcome to Highway Christian Community Sermon Downloads. For more sermons, please visit our website. We know you will be blessed as you listen. Take care and God bless.
1: Just lend the mic to my boss. One of the main reasons I'm still alive and uh, traveling into nations of my wife, who's not 44, we've been married 44 years. Anyway, you know that, and I keep telling you that, and something's wrong if I don't. I met her, went to 17, married her at 17 before anyone else could get hold of it. I'm a wise man. I know what I want, and I get what I... No, anyway, all right.
0: You're a very wise man. <laughs> I am. It's wonderful to be here tonight, and just to be in the presence of God, and just to enjoy the atmosphere of his glory of his presence and you know I can just I feel like Steve can feel the expectation and um, you know atmospheres in the atmosphere of God miracles are so easy when there's the atmosphere is just saturated with his glory it's like it gets heavy with his glory and it's like we get the overflow of that you know just trickles onto us and overcomes us and um, I felt that tonight just in the praise and the worship just uh, the atmosphere of God and it's wonderful to be in this atmosphere and it's also wonderful to be in the atmosphere of Africa again back here in South Africa this is our thank you this is our last um, meeting of three and a half week trip and so we are going to go out with a bang tonight okay (laughs) we're gonna just give it everything oh yeah Amen. Well, I'm not going to take up any more time. I'm going to let Rob preach now. I don't mind.
1: If you want to take up time, I'll be in no. I like what no. you.
0: I couldn't jump up on the stage like he did, so I'm going to just sneak off down there, okay? Well,
1: good evening. It's so wonderful. Hey, this is a Sunday night on a long weekend, and so many people are out on a Sunday night. This is amazing. Give yourself a clap. We'll give each other. It's amazing. Sunday night. After a long week of meetings. So exciting to hear about hunger. You know, in the world, you get hungry by eating, uh, by not eating. But in the kingdom, you become more hungry by tasting more of the goodness of God. The more you eat in the kingdom, the more you want to eat. And, and you don't uh, get flab. You get lean and hard and strong and loving and kind. Amen. So this has been our best trip ever to South Africa, ever since. We've been out of the country for nearly 29 years. We've never had such a rich relational connection time ever in all of the 29 years we've been out of the country. And um, this is an extraordinary thing. We said some things from this pulpit uh, 10 years ago. stirred up all kinds of controversy and whatever. All of that has come to a place of convergence now where God has turned it all together for good. So you were foreknown by God. He foreknew you. He had an original, perfect, beautiful version of you. And then He and then he predestinated you. And it's still your free will and choice, but He foreknew wrote scrolls about you, magnificent preparation for who you are in, in, in innocence and in His ideal of you. He wrote the scrolls and He predestined you. And then in the period of time He called you, not just a calling to function as a business person or preacher or whatever. He called you into His arms. He called you into His love. He called you. And then He, then he justified you all in a period of time, which is to declare you innocent. And then He glorified you. Now, that's not when you get to heaven. He glorified you in this time. That's a convergent period in your life where He turns all things together for good. All the bad things, all the tragedies, all the tra- traumas. He turns everything around for the good Because you're called according to His purpose and you love God. Now, it's not a convergence because I'm 65. It's a convergence across the planet. We're in a period of time where people for the last three years have been tested on one issue and one issue alone. And that is faithfulness to Jesus. That we have no idolatry in our lives, which is not just worshipping statues, but we have competing affections. For Christ. And we are not called to have competing affections for Christ. He just wants to be first because He is first. And when He is first, everything else comes first. Everything else, he, we're his first as well. We're, we're in the firstborn. Can you say amen? So the issue is I'm not going to betray Jesus because people betray me. I'm not going to blame God because things went badly. I'm going to lift my hands and thank Him with gratitude because no toxic seeds can grow in a grateful heart. And when you lift your hands and you praise Him... All the toxic seeds die and all the seeds of greatness germinate and blossom. So that God knew what you were going to go through in these last three years. And He prepared us for grace so that in the period, we're not saying God made this happen. We know He didn't do this. He didn't do those destructive things. He's our Father. But He prepared us so that in the time we lift our hands and we thank Him and we say, Lord, You didn't do this, but I thank You. In this time, I've learned how to depend more on You and less on myself. In the times of rejection, I've learned how to find my identity alone in your grace and your love for me. So that things that seem to be barriers to our destiny are not barriers to our destiny. They are bridges into our destiny where God accelerates us into convergence. Where Joseph comes out of prison and becomes a prime minister of Egypt and affects millions of people. God wants to promote you. He wants to lift you up by his mighty hand. Now's the convergence. Now is your due season. Come on, give him a shout and a praise. He's a faithful God. And so sometimes when you've got to break the gravitational pull of religion, you have to be a little bit radical. God didn't send John the Baptist with like a little whispering, cute, sweet prophet. He had to send a man that would announce the way. He wasn't a wilderness crying out in a voice, he was a voice crying out in a wilderness. And the longer people resist the true gospel, the, the, the more and more desperate people come when they're conditioned by the propaganda of religion. And so it gets worse and worse and worse. So eventually, when the prophets have to stand up, The revolution is far more intense than it should have had to. It didn't have to be that way. But when frustration and confusion and condemnation builds up, then when people want to break that gravitational pull, it's got to be a big blast to get you out. Amen. And all kinds of fur flies and everyone thinks, wow, this is crazy. That's exactly when Jesus hit this earth with that 400 years of absence of the presence of God in Israel. He came walking in there and disturbed them. Jesus was an interrupter. Things will no longer be like this. My father's house, whips, kicking tables over. My father will not, my father's house will not be like this. Amen. Man, I should give you a few more gaps to shut because I know you want to shut. Come on, just give a shot. Let it out. Hey! And so 10 years go by and, you know, all kinds of things happening, But, you know, Glenda and I have never found identity and codependency. And any time you need someone to give you a sense of value, that's an unhealthy relationship. It's codependency, and it's it's very dangerous because when it's working, you feel famous, you feel great, you feel wonderful, but when that breaks and they reject you, you're devastated, suicidal. But Jesus didn't seem to get his uh, value from codependency. He seemed to get it from his father. He said, this is my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased. And he had worked as a carpenter. He hadn't done any miracles, hadn't preached, hadn't done any kingdom spiritual things. The father loved him for whom he was, not what he could do. Amen. And that's the basis for to launch out in your life. I believe in empowering grace, but I love acceptance grace father accepted Jesus, not because of empowering grace or what Jesus had produced. He doesn't love you because you produce miracles. He doesn't love you because you've got a great massive big church. He doesn't love you because the car you drive. He doesn't love you for any of those things. He loves you because he foreknew you before time began. And he loved you in your original state. And he is not going to leave you in the perverted state that this corrupted wisdom of this world that walked us with he's going to love us back into that original version of foreknowledge until we come to a convergence and be everything he intended us to be come on say amen and when your identity is in acceptance approval and sonship from the father then you can have the most beautiful marriage the most beautiful relationships because it's healthy love healthy encouragement it's not it's not it's not needy neediness because your need of identity is met in God first. Woo! Okay. Well, now I'm starting to preach a little bit better than you shouting. It's been so great to preach and minister with Paul Tottle, a fellow Aussie. Um, We're Afro Aussie we Asians. And uh, I think he's an Aussie Afro because he loves this country so much. And what an amazing time. What do we do? Thank you, Craig. I said once that if Steve Wheeler was a woman, I probably could have married him. You, you're getting close to that category. Thank you. You just gave me a man crush there. Thank you for doing that, Craig. So anyway, shut up, Robin. Get on now. So I want to try to talk quickly, uh, and then you can wind, put the ta- uh, tape. Uh, tape. Put it on slow and then get what I'm saying. But, but um I want to share something that I shared this morning, but coming from a, some different angles on that. Um, this is essentially very, very good uh, for every individual. It will uh, strengthen you. It will encourage you. It will have benefits and advantages for you individually, and that's what the Father wants. That's very, very important. But essentially, and as a priority, this message is more about the, the community of Highway Church as a family. Amen. Uh, amen. So what I'm saying is that in this convergence, we've never been on a visit where everywhere we've been, in, 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 even in Johannesburg with leaders we haven't seen for 10 years, they have boycotted and stayed out of our meetings. Leaders of networks, leaders of profile in Johannesburg, they all came together to listen to me speak for two hours. I was shocked. What I was more shocked about is that when we, when we got up to speak, they all stood to give us a standing ovation and applauded us. And now everywhere we've been, all through Johannesburg to and to Cape Town, to uh, uh, Victory Faith Red Point last week, I think it was, uh, at our 40th anniversary, to uh, Dwell and to the leaders, 120 leaders of many different churches uh, we we spoke at last week. Every time we got up to speak, people stood to their feet, unsummoned, uninvited, and uh, gave us a standing ovation. Now, that doesn't stroke my ego. It shocks me and amazes me. And it makes me very happy, not because of we're getting the applause, because we know who gets the applause, but because it means that the gospel we preached 10 years ago that caused trouble has now been embraced and accepted by the vast majority. And so I want to talk about, about how church is to be covered with the glory. We are called to be a radiant, glorious church. And I want to talk about, very quickly, let me introduce... The difference between the anointing and the glory. Three differences between anointing and glory. Number one, the anointing is God's actions on men and women. The anointing is God's empowering, energizes and enables us to do things. The glory is not what God does. The glory is who God is. Okay. Secondly, the the anointing enables human beings. The glory disables human beings. So that when the anointing comes, man and woman at center stage ministering rightly so under the power of the anointing. You need the anointing not for the pulpit only, but for business, raising children, for marriage. You need the anointing. The anointing heals the broken brokenhearted, sets at liberty them that are bruised, gives you the power to produce wealth, opens doors and summons you to ever-expanding horizons of favor, influence and fruitfulness. The anointing sets at liberty them that are bruised. The anointing brings jubilee, the anointing brings rest. The anointing gives you beauty instead of ashes. The anointing takes away the spirit of heaviness, gives you the oil of gladness and the garment of praise. The The anointing does all of these things. That's what the anointing does. But the anointing is not a Sunday sedative for narcissistic, obsessed Christians who are just about themselves. The anointing is, it goes on there in Isaiah 61. It says, says, so that he anoints you, anoints you, anoints you, anoints you, so that. You can be the planting of the Lord, stable Christians, not tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine, the planting of the Lord, uh, the, the establishing as oaks of righteousness to display the splendor of God. The next verse says, so that you can build up the broken walls and restore the fallen cities that have been broken through the generations. The anointing is not a Sunday sedative to make self-centered Christians a little bit happy. It is there to establish you as the planting of the Lord, the oaks of righteousness that hold your ground, hold your territory against predators and parasites. And you stand and you hold your ground. If you don't, someone else is going to run. Amen? In special forces training, it wasn't how fit you were. It was about what they took us through in Descobalos, Kimberley, for nine months of intensive training. It wasn't about your fitness. It was your capacity to think of your mates, You think of your comrades. You do not sleep on duty when you are on guard duty. When they fall, you pick them up. It's not the one who can run faster or do things better. It's how you work together as a united force. And it took me a long time as an individual to work out special force training is to make you feel like you're going to die before you actually get into Angola. Because what it's all about is wearing down our pride and independence and radical self-centered individuality. You see, we're a body that affects each other. Come on, can you say amen? So the anointing empowers you. It's the actions of God on man, but the glory is who God is. The anointing, uh, the anointing enables you, and the anointing disables you. So when the glory comes, God takes center stage, and the greatest miracles happen, the greatest signs and wonders. Because it's His goodness manifesting. We've seen amazing healings, miracles, but the greatest is in the glory. And thirdly, the anointing, man, this could be the end of the sermon, no. But the anointing, the anointing is localized over you. So if you want the anointing to go to that side of the room, you've got to go walk over there. If you want to witness to someone, you have to go to them because the anointing is localized. And we need to witness in the anointing. We need to preach in the anointing. We should. Share the gospel in the anointing. But God wants to use the anointing to consecrate the church to go into the realm of the glory because the glory is not localized. When the glory comes over a church, it begins to pervade over the entire city and change the way people think in that city. Can you say amen? Saul of Tarsus was an angry man breathing out threats and wanting to kill more Christians in Damascus. And he didn't meet a man with a Bible tract standing there in the anointing to preach the gospel, he ran into the glory, into a bright light, which is the glory. And he heard the voice of God and he went down a hateful man and got up a champion of grace. Because in the glory, our lives are transformed in acceleration. So the whole purpose of the true gospel is to bring an increasing glory that never fades away. So we're going to look here at the way to have ever increasing glory is to stick with the truth of the gospel and never give up on it. It is amazing to me how people can be bored with the gospel. The gospel is not just for people to get saved. The gospel is to empower us to walk in an ever-increasing glory. It saves people, but it also saves the church from programs and institutionalism and an absence of the presence of God. Amen? So, I've said it to you a thousand times before. If you climb a spiral staircase... Every time you come back to the same view, how boring, the same view. It's not boring because every time you come back to that same view, it's a higher view, it's a clearer view, it's a further view. And the clearer the gospel is, the greater the power of the glory of God is. If we've got schizophrenic religion, double-minded people, they won't receive from the Lord. You've got to understand there's a covenant of glory and there's an old covenant of fading glory. And God's opinion of the new, of the old covenant, the law covenant, is it's a weak and useless covenant. Say that out loud. Weak and useless. Now, my, my, my mother didn't train a fool. I'm not going to invest my life into something weak and useless. You see, you're shocked. You're saying, how can the old covenant law be weak and useless? I didn't say that. God said that. That's God's opinion about the law covenant. Let's have a quick look. Let's stay with Scripture. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 18 and 19. Let's read it out. Man, the guys the other at the conference were frightening me. They're reading Scripture so loud. We read the Scripture in Hong Kong in Cantonese and English. And uh, so I'm going to do the Cantonese after this. Okay. No. okay, read it out loudly. One, two, three, go. On the one hand, a former commandment is set aside because it's weakness and uselessness. For the law made nothing perfect. But on the other hand, a better hope is introduced by which we draw near to God. Weak and useless covenant. Some people are still mixing it up with a new covenant. It's something weak and useless that just makes people confused. So go to uh, Hebrews 8, verse 6. Hebrews 8, verse 6. Other way around. Okay, it doesn't matter. That's a beautiful scripture, but it's not the one. Don't worry. The Lord bless you. The Lord bless you. The Bible says that we have a better covenant based on better promises because so we have a superior, su- superior high priest. Now, why is the old covenant we can use this? Is the law bad? The law is not bad. The law is holy. The law is designed to make you feel bankrupt, crush you, kill you, murder you. Not murder you. Thresh the living daylights of your pride and your arrogance. That's what Jesus was trying to preach in Matthew 5. And he said, unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of of the scribes and Pharisees, you won't even see the kingdom. He's saying you're never going to be righteous by the law. It, 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 the, the exactitudes of the law, the spirituality of the law is so high. Just to look at someone who's not your husband or wife with lust is a, is, is a death sentence. It is adultery. So he's not preaching to the New Covenant Church. He's letting the New Covenant ch- Church know there's a righteousness that is apart from the law, but is by faith in Christ. And a Pharisee called... Paul, the apostle, Hebrew of Hebrews, Benjamin, born on uh, the and they did everything well. He said, All of that is done that I may obtain a righteousness apart from the law that is by faith. Amen? So the reason why the old covenant is weak and useless is because the old covenant of law, law is an intrinsic covenant. But the superior covenant is an extrinsic covenant. Intrinsic means it's all got to start with you, it's all up to you, it all depends on you. If you do the right thing, then God will bless you. If you do the wrong thing, the law will curse you. If you move, then God moves. That's intrinsic. In an extrinsic covenant, the new covenant, God loved you so much, He didn't cut the covenant with you. So you had no more obligations to keep the covenant. Because it's not intrinsic. It's not weak and useless. It's weak and useless because human beings couldn't keep the old covenant. Not because the law is bad. It's just human beings were weak and useless. We couldn't keep it. Come on, say amen. Say he's given us an intrinsic covenant. He loved us so much. He said, I'm not cutting the covenant with you. You'll make it weak and useless. So he cut the covenant within the infallible, immutable invincibility of the Trinity. He cut the covenant not with you. He cut it with his son. So the entire uh, advantage of the new covenant is it has nothing to do with you. It has everything to do with the faithfulness within the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Everything that happened to Christ, you were included in it. You were placed into Christ. You were co-crucified with Him, co-buried with Him, co-ascended with Him, co-seated with Him, co-equal heir with Him, and a co-laborer together with Him. That is total identification. You are in Him. Whatever He received at the right hand of the Father is yours already. It belongs to you. And you can withdraw it in the realms of the glory. key, will just click in in a moment, the key to the new covenant is the gift of righteousness. See, if you believe this covenant, this is what happens. When people put faith in the true gospel, what happens is there are three automatic fruits that will just spontaneously erupt. It's been working in Glenda, my life for 42 years. So we can say, I'm not arrogant about this, but we haven't backslidden for 42 years. The day we got saved. We haven't backslidden. We haven't got angry with the church. We haven't burned down. We haven't had a breakdown. We haven't smashed our marriage, crushed everything. We, it just Not because we're strong. We're actually weak. I'm the weakest man here, yeah, and I'm not exaggerating. How do you know, Rob? I know me. You say, well, you don't know me. I know, but let's not compete. She's the weakest. That would be ungodly. And if you've had a backslide or a breakdown and a divorce, hey, come on you're hearing about a covenant that's got nothing to do with you. You're in the grace of God. Not a license, it's just you're saved. Can you say amen? So when you believe this gospel, it will produce automatic fruit, it'll spontaneous, it'll just just come out of you. You don't even have to try, it's just part of it. You believe this truth of an extrinsic covenant, you will produce firstly humility, boldness, and obedience to the call of God. It will happen automatically. You, you don't have to try. You'll find your instincts doing it. When you take the have-tos off, a whole lot of want come popping up out of the heart. But the unbelief in this gospel, a false gospel, forces. says there's no such thing as a false gospel. He said you're so quickly turning from the gospel that i preached to you, but you're turning to another gospel, which is no gospel at all. It's not an in inadequate gospel. It's not a full gospel. That means you could have a half gospel. There's either the gospel that God preached to Abraham, or there's no gospel at all. And if you add one Lord to the gospel, it is no gospel at all. And so if you have unbelief in this gospel, you'll have three fruits. It's, it's, a, it's a proven fact you can observe it. You'll have fear. I'm not talking about moments of fear. I mean a lifestyle of fear. Hey, I get afraid sometimes. I get afraid of Glenda sometimes. I've never committed adultery for the fear of the Lord and the fear of Glenda. God gave David an option. You, you want to be judged by the people or by me? He said, by you. So if you unbelief in this gospel, will produce fear. It will produce pride. And it will produce rebellion. Which and I don't care what people tell me they believe. I just look at the fruits of their life now. Not the fruits over an hour or a day or a week, but over months. You know, don't look at me when I'm in a traffic jam because I feel like the devil's making every traffic light red for me and I don't even feel saved in the traffic in Hong Kong. So don't look at me in a, in a cameo snapshot, but look at people's life with some history, okay? Traverse for a little while. But I, I'm watching, in, uh, without, this is not judgmental, it's an observation. As You just have to look at the theology coming out on Facebook. People have done nothing, people have repelled, they're lazy, they don't give generously, they're selfish, they don't go to church anymore, they don't honor authority of people in the kingdom. It's a travesty of the kingdom. It's not the kingdom, it's a Gnostic pseudo-grace uh, Pharisee. That's what it is. And they are literally demonized and oppressed by spirits of witchcraft. They have unbelief in the true gospel. And they are spouting their vomit over all kinds. But just look at their lives. Where's the fruit? I don't care what they say. They believe that everyone's going to heaven. No, everyone's not going to heaven. You die outside of Christ. You're lost for all eternity. The new covenant is clear on that. It's like people are just sucking in. If something sounds flowery and beautiful, oh, that must be God. No, maybe it should be scripture first. In context, all other ground is sinking sand. So I want to leave that alone now, but I can just tell you you can see you can see fear, pride, and rebellion, and many people calling themselves Christians, because they do not believe in an extrinsic covenant. They do not believe in the new covenant. They still under the law and they think they're under grace. I can tell you, you cannot get free from the law unless you put faith in this gospel. That's what Galatians 3.21 says. It says, until this faith was revealed, we were locked up as prisoners under the law. You were locked up as prisoners under the law until faith was, it says, before this faith came, we were prisoners locked up under the law until faith was revealed. Then this one verse, go to the 23rd verse, it says, now that faith has come, we are no longer under the supervision of the law. So if people haven't released faith in this gospel, they are still under the law, the law stirring up sin in them. They've got unbelief and they're living in fear, rebellion and pride. When you believe this gospel, produce humility, longevity and obedience and boldness in your life. And you'll be ever fresh in the power. Because I don't just preach this gospel, I feed on it every single day. More than you realize I have. to. So, okay. Help me. You guys are doing well, better than me at the moment. Do not give sympathy to people that are warped. Do not allow them to drain you and distract you. Just because you walk in love does not mean to say you can embrace the satanic ambushes of witchcraft. The people that are mocking you for being faithful to Jesus. Mocking you because you're loyal to a local church. Mocking you because you actually study the word of God. Mocking you because you pray. Mocking you because you tithe and give generous offerings into the local church. Mocking you because you make sacrifices out of the honor to your king. Not because you have to, because you're captured by him. Totally, I'm, in, I'm totally in love with Jesus. He's completely captured me. It's much more than a man crush. I'm totally enamored with him. I loved it. I preached a straight message this morning and Ryan Matthews. He just got up there, brilliant really favour over that house. He just gets up and he says, No more casual Christianity. Amen. In the kingdom you're willing to suffer for the king. You're willing to be rejected. You don't want to be a politician. You don't want to try and please everyone because you weren't called to. Not everyone's going to like you. It's nice if they do. And we're not here to deliberately offend people. We're not an offense going somewhere to happen. But the issue is, are you living with eternity in mind? Is your mind framed by infinite reference points? That you know that your life here is short and it's a parenthesis in eternity and you've got an assignment and you've got to finish it. No matter what comes your way. That's why Paul says these momentary light afflictions are stirring up for us an eternal weight of glory. His momentary light afflictions was regular rejection by false apostles Regular kidnapping churches he had planted, slander against him, lies said against him, imprisonment, being whipped with 39 lashes. <laughs> he said these momentary light afflictions. It's because he was living with eternity, and my only in comparison was those momentary light afflictions. You put two apostles together, Paul and Silas, in a prison with their backs bleeding, big mistake. You should have separated them, but you put them together, they came into agreement. And instead of complaining and saying, I'm not going to Highway Community Church anymore, Steve promised us, tiptoe through the tulips, everything will be so sweet and nice, and now I'm getting whipped for the gospel, I'm suffering hardships and difficulties. Hey, this gospel's a lie. That's unbelief in the real gospel. This gospel doesn't promise us like everything's going to be fine. In fact, it does promise us that everything will not be fine. So when you know it won't be fine, you're ready for it when it comes. You're not believing for it, you just know how to deal with it because... Yes, happens. Okay, you're listening so well now, it's getting bad because you're distracting me. So, so two court cases quickly. Uh, one court case is a young man accused of a terrible crime against a young woman. And I uh, won't go into any more details there because it would be too relevant to what's happening in our nation right now. Um, and as the as court case proceeds, the uh, prosecution is very, very uh, good, and, and they, they're doing their job well. And forensic evidence and credible witnesses prove without any, beyond reasonable doubt, that this young man is guilty of what he's done to this young woman. And so just before the judge serves the sentence, he says to the parents, do you have anything to say before I serve sentence on the accused? And the parents stand up and say, judge, you've done an amazing, you know, professional uh, court today. We're so, so grateful our daughter has been given... Uh, justice in terms of the clarity that this man is the perpetrator of the crime against her, and we are thankful for that. But we want to forgive the uh, accused, and we we don't want any charges, and so the charges are dropped and the young man leaves the building uh, forgiven. That is no gospel at all. That's got nothing to do with the gospel. That's a horrific lie. That is not the gospel. The gospel is much better than that. And yet most people, that's what they believe. That young man would leave that court case with a stigma of shame and condemnation for the rest of his life, carrying that. And friends, the problem with that is is that law and condemnation uh, connect our sin and failures to our identity. Law and condemnation connect our sin and failures and mistakes to our identity. And you cannot manifest more than what you truly believe you are. You can, if you truly, have, truly believe your identity is connected to condemnation, you cannot manifest the glory. But when you know your identity is connected to Jesus Christ and His perfect performance on your behalf, then your identity is connected to that. So he has a different court case altogether. As the same crime, accused of the same crime, as it precedes the forensic evidence, the credible witnesses begin to show beyond any reasonable doubt that this young man is innocent. He wasn't even in the country when the crime was perpetrated. It is absolutely clear. He's 100% innocent. And the judge gets up, slams the gravel down, and says, Dakonios, the Greek word that you see in your New Testament called justification, which means much more than what we think. It means you are declared utterly innocent. You are declared utterly righteous. You are Free from all shame, all accusation. You are, you are innocent. The young man leaves with joy and thankfulness. And hallelujah, that's the gospel. But you say, well, I'm guilty of crimes against heaven. Me too. But Jesus became our crime. Jesus became our sin. So if you, if you he has Jesus' name, he has your name. Under your name is all the sins you've ever done. And hopefully less and less into the future. Then this list is very long. Mine's quite short. And over here is Jesus, and under him is all the acts of obedience, his faithfulness, his his love for his Father, his complete freedom from political correctness and trying to get human approval, just obeying his Father perfectly all the time. On the cross, God took your name, put it over where Jesus' name is. Took Jesus' name, put it over where your name is. That's the gospel. So. You are treated just as if you'd never sinned from the Father, but much more than that, just as if you've always fully obeyed Him faithfully. Because you have been you have been credited with all of Jesus' credibility. Now let's, what am I saying this for? I'm saying this because uh, I don't have time to explain what I'm trying to say. I don't want to mess with your heads too late. I'm saying this because what I said this morning is that we're at a threshold. We're at a convergence point. And when there's a threshold, there's a bump in the road. And if we've been carrying wrong patterns to restore the glory, the bump will expose the fraudulency. And so, this convergence time is the most exciting time, but it's the most debilitating time if we don't get a pure pattern from heaven about how to restore the full glory of the new covenant to the new covenant to. So that it permeates through South Africa. And I could get through Wales for three years. And we are not going to go back. Wales, after three years, I mean, the stories are awesome. But they went back to strange teachings you know, to stop the glory. And, but, but what happens, crime rates went down. I mean, that's just too, good to, too much to say. But when the glory permeates through a, a city, you'll see the crime rates go up, the economics go up, uh, righteous government, people that are corrupt getting thrown out of government, exposed, put in jail, justice done. When the glory comes, integrity comes, people repent in the streets. You can. There isn't enough time to witness to every South African one-on-one. We must try as much as we can, but when the glory comes, the whole atmosphere, the glory leads to repentance. God's glory is His goodness. And in Romans 2, just keep in his context, the glory, the goodness of God leads to repentance. But the context is God also saying, there's an ultimate day of judgment that is coming, and He's holding back judgment, but His wrath is building up. And the very fact He's not pouring out wrath now is because His goodness is leading people through. Don't think God is a semi-senile Santa Claus. He's a majestic, holy, glorious God. He is healing. He is love he has grace, he's mercy, but you're not dealing with a toothless Santa Claus, yeah. You're dealing with the creator of the heavens and the earth, who loves us and wants to be our friend. But there should be a reverential awe about who this God is. Glenn, I don't know the point I'm trying to make here. Just remind you. What was I saying? You'll know. You're sleepy, aren't you? <laughs> Uh, it's a threshold, and it's bringing the glory back. So we know that the Ark of the Covenant was the furniture that the weight of the glory could rest on permanently. The glory didn't have to leave because the law was put into the box. Boom! And they covered the law up, the, the ministry of death on tablets of stone. They covered it up, and that on that mercy seat, the glory was there 24-7. And then they lost the Ark because they treated it like a magic charm. And it went into the Philist- Philistines, and then it smashed Dagon, their, their demon god, and, all, and gave uh, hemorrhoids to all the priests of Dagon. Beautiful. Love it. And then... Um, <laughs> We have people in Hong Kong coming regularly to us, asking us to break their idols because they say to us, We hear the glory presence of the living God comes to every Sunday. So we came here and we realized it's true. We felt invisible something in this room that was so awesome we didn't even, never knew what the. I said, That's the glory of God. They said, Will you break our idols? I said, Yes, I'll smash them, but you receive Jesus first. And they received you. When the glory pervades, you, you might see some shaking going on in your city because God will stir up all the hidden things. And bring them out into the open to expose them. Amen? Listen, the church cannot go beyond their exposure to the glory. When Moses went up on the mountain, he was in the glory. And God had wanted all of Israel to go up. But they didn't want to go up. They wanted a priest. They didn't want to pay for their priest. So they could live with distraction, ungodly lives. And come and pretend, play, play intimacy with God on Sunday morning. And work their worship team out of their minds. So they, the glory, 40 days, of space face is shining, comes down and Israel's been in the flesh for 40 days and they're worshipping a golden calf and they're running around naked. As you do. And so 3,000 get killed on the day the law arrived. And on the day grace came, on Pentecost Day, 3,000 got saved. So once death, once life. But Israel could go no no further than their level of exposure to the glory. And the church, when exposed to the glory in an ever-increasing way, the church will radically affect the values of the world around it, and the world around it will begin to adopt and embrace our vision of heaven and our eternal values and our reference to eternal truth. But when we lack the glory, when we're not covered in the glory of God as a church, the world around us, it uh, invites us in and is enticing and seductive and we end up corrupted by the wisdom of this age. And we begin to take on the values of this world and we cannot therefore be transformed in our thinking because we now conform to the pattern of this world. Therefore, we can't prove what is God's perfect, pleasing and perfect will. And so the church is a religious club, slapped on the, on the backside and patronized by the world. Do your little religious thing. No, we, when we come together... It, they, we need to carry the glory into this house. Because what they did is they put the, uh, the glory on the cart and they expected two people, Ohaya and Uzzah, these charismatic guys could lead a, a, a Israel into the mega church. If, if it's based on one or two people, it's finished. Because as it hit the threshold, as it hit the convergence, the bump came and the ark was unsteady and Uzzah stuck his hand like God needs help from us. And he died. And, and David got angry and confused and afraid, searched the scriptures. Didn't read Facebook. Searched the scriptures and the pattern was the glory can only come back to Israel carried on the shoulders of the priest. And every priest. How many of you believe every one of you are a royal priest? You're not you're not paying and, and you heard it this morning from Gavin, amen. You're not paying your club juice for them to work their backs out off. We all are called to carry the glory in. When we come in on a Sunday morning, everyone carries the glory into the house. So we start in the glory. It's not, oh, I've had such a bad week. I'm just going to go there. I hope someone just blesses me and helps me. And if they don't, I'm going to go find another church. Well, help yourself to that other church, you ugly thing. You're meant to be walking in His glory every day of the week. Intimately familiar with the living God. Not, Amen. And you come in with an overflow of glory. And when you pull your glory together under God, whoa. So so what the devil wants to do is put people under the law so they don't feel qualified to bring the glory in. But when you know your righteousness is, is extrinsic, it had nothing to do with you. It was outside of you. And man, I'm telling you, this morning, like, you know, the people there were like stirring each other up. And I think what a day we'll come to on Sunday morning um, when as the worship's going, people are shouting out aloud. Not in the quiet, still moments, but they're shouting out when we're in that anointing moment. Going, come on, let's all worship God. Not berating or being mean. Just say, more, let's worship him more. Come on, lift up. Every, not from the front. Everyone is shouting. Everyone's a worship leader on the in the rows. Hey! You don't want your uzos and ahias to die. Because they're desperately trying to bring the glory, but every is coming in like this. No. You're the royal priest. You go up the mountain in the realm of the glory. You don't stay down there worship golden calves and run around naked. Especially as you get older. Don't do that. <laughs> Joking. <laughs> don't ever do it, except when you're born. Okay, no. Let's say I'm going back to Eden. No, no. We are building Eden environments in the glory, as Paul has been so eloquently preaching beautifully this week. Get those messages if you miss them, they're really powerful. Hey, man, when you go into a house where everyone has carried the glory in, how beautiful it is. How beautiful is the nature of God? How attractive is He? He is the central, attractive, He is the feature of the house. Thank God for coffee and we need to connect and people are lonely and the, we need to connect. We need to be community. We need to be family. We need to be sharing. You know you know what I'm saying? We really need to do that. But ultimately, the most attractive feature of the house is here. The people come early because they want to start worshiping early out. I know it's a busy lifestyle today. I know most people are working two jobs, raising kids, I know all of that. But we can change our calendars and adjust priorities according to put kingdom first. Don't listen to the Gnostic grace people that are doing nothing. They're so lazy, they want sacrifice. And have you seen how bored they are? How empty they are? Yes. So let me try to close with this. I'm only about a quarter of the way, but that's fine. The message has being communicated. Some on my way. So... It's not blasphemy. It's not Jesus. I remember Terry Virgo telling me once that the greatest way to understand the gospel is to understand Romans five, from verse twelve to verse three. He said, if you understand that and communicate that, everyone will have a clear vision of the gospel. So I'm going to I'm going to read that quickly with you. You're going to read it with me, okay? Just turn it off for a moment. I'm going to help your lenses. I'm going to help you to see what you're looking for here. I'm not leading you on. I'm not leading the witness, Paul. But I am leading the witness. I'm leading you to see, look for things. The the phrase, one man, one man, one man, one man, one man, is repeated over and over again. And with the one man, it says the other one man is a pattern to come of this one man. And this one man is a greater pattern to come than this one man. So that the truth what's been shown in Romans 5 is if your sin made you a sinner, then to become righteous, you would have to do the obedience to become righteous. But I'll say that again. If your sin made you dead, if your sin killed you, if your sin made you a sinner, then you would have to do the obedient thing to be made righteous. But if one man brought death to you, his sin made you a sinner, the one man's sin made you a sinner, then one man's obedience can make you the righteousness of God in Christ. So, first Adam is the federal headship of everyone born into the world. They are not born automatically into last Adam. They're born into first Adam, into spiritual death, under the law of Moses, under condemnation. And when you come to Christ, you transfer into last Adam, and you, and you die to the law, and you become free to the law to belong to Him, and you're under grace. So the whole human race is either in first Adam or last Adam, two federal heads of the human race. And I've said it over and over again across the world. I'm not picking on South Africa, because God alone knows that I love this country more than any other country on the planet. And we are very, getting engaged more and more in the United States of America, and Central Asia, many countries. But I can tell you, this is our land so I'm not picking on this country. I'm saying if the true gospel was preached for the last few centuries, there would be no racism. It would deal with racism. Because we all either come from one man or another one man. And there would be no gender inequality and an abuse of women. Because wherever legalistic religion goes, racism follows it and death to women. So I don't, again, I don't look at a nation and go, I wonder what gospel they're preaching. I look at the fruit. And if there's rampant racism and if there's rampant gender inequality or if there's gender fight back, feminism now becoming even more violent than what men did, sometimes the original deception, the reaction to it is even a worse deception. So you've got this dysfunctional generations that can be interrupted by true gospel that breaks all this hatred, racism, gender competition or gender confusion. So let's read it. Let's read the Scriptures. How many you want to read the Scriptures? Okay, let's read. One, two, three, go. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through the one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sin. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Nevertheless, yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass, for if many died through the one man's trespass, say it again, for the many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, be abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought innocence, daconia, righteousness. If because of one man's trespass death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace say receive. didn't say reward. Receive the abundance of grace and the reward. No, the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Reign in South Africa. Rule in South Africa. Through the true gospel. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men. One trespass led to condemnation for all men. It was my sin that made me condemned. No, it was Adam's sin that condemned you. and You just carried on. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men. So one act. One act. Say one act. One act of righteousness leads to j- deconio, justification, and life for all men. It's available to all. For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. So by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Now the Lord came. How's has the purpose of the Lord, to make you holy, righteous, and not sin. Is that what Scripture says? Let's read it. Now the Lord came in to increase the trespass. The law showed us our bankruptcy. It didn't stop us sinning. It didn't make us holy. It made us more. But where sin increased, grace abounded. Oh. So yeah, I'm still closing. Is my third close, XB, as you people know, the third close is really the close. Again. So let me state the obvious again. The new covenant uh, in so many contexts. Teaches a uh, uh, position and condition. Amen. Position and condition. So he has your position in lost Adam, dead to the law and under grace, and you the righteousness of God. He looks and perceives you as someone who's never sinned and someone who's always obeyed. Now, if you're faithful to believe that, you'll produce fruits of humility, boldness, and obedience. And then you've got a condition, which sometimes looks very different to your position. You could say this is your state and this is your status. And sanctification is your state becoming more synonymous with your status. Amen? So the big question now is in the New Covenant, how does God relate to you? Does He relate to you according to your position or does He relate to you according to your condition? Because you've got to get this right. If you get this right, you can carry the glory in. Your identity will be secure. This is a big question. Because this is where we got. The schizophrenia. I'm, I'm righteous, but my condition is not all the time. I wonder which way God must be seen. Listen, God God saw all your sins 2,000 years ago at the cross. And he obliterated them. The uh, high court of heaven's integrity was satisfied. That justice was done on the innocent head of Jesus Christ. God is holy to justify wicked people like me. And you as well. Holy God justified wicked people. The devil's so confused. We never made this up. We couldn't think of something so good as this. And it's so wrong that so many, the majority of Christians are deprived of this. They really believe their Father is relating to them on the basis of their condition. And it's so false. It's such heresy. He only relates to you according to your position. Now, as a husband, if my condition is getting out of control, Glenn has got to do something about it on a horizontal level. And then we've got to do something about probable causes. But this is don't don't confuse truth though, because this is a different subject how to bring divine order and deal with discipline issues, but it has to be done redemptively. Amen. But God is never, ever in the new covenant, relate to you on the basis of your state or your condition. He is always relating to you on the basis of your position. Because you see, you've got a foolproof righteousness. You've got a devil proof righteousness. Because your position has got nothing to do with your obedience or your disobedience. This is an extrinsic covenant. It's not an intrinsic covenant. It's extra. It happened outside of you, and God is satisfied with it, and we should be satisfied with it. So that we can say, even when we've messed up in our condition, we say, Father, thank you, I am the righteousness of God. Now, I repent for that stupid act. I repent for being mean. I'm sorry, it's wrong, Father. But you're not doing that to get forgiveness because you're not getting your forgiveness in installments. You've got a one-time, full package forgiveness at the cross. It still means you repent, but you don't repent with worldly sorrow that leads to death. You repent with godly sorrow that leads to life. Amen. So this is your state, this is your status. Now, think about this. Some people think that you can do enough wrong things in your condition that you can be that you can lose your position. Think about that. I'm talking about people who put faith in Jesus in this gospel. They still believe that they can lose their condition, and the scriptures that, if you take them out of context, it can look like that, but I promise you, Ryan... Uh, my son Rufus and myself and others, we've looked at all those scriptures. I've just written a book. It's your time to shine. I'll answer all of these questions. Hey, go get it. It's, on the, it's an e-book. Just go to robrufus.com ministries or whatever, blah, 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 the Hong Kong City Church, and you'll see 12 chapters on how to move from anointing into glory and all of this stuff, and you will be amazed. It's a great book, even though I wrote it. When I read it, I get so blessed. Because it's not me. It's the scripture under the anointing. I read my own book over and over again. I feel so happy. The gospel makes me so safe. If you get around the gospel enough, you'll start feeling happy. Just really happy. Just joyful. That's what people think. That if I do enough bad things here in my condition, I fall from my position. What they're doing is preaching a greater first Adam than last Adam. Because in first Adam, federal head, when you were in him under the law, positioned in first Adam's death, and disobedience under the law, you could have done a lot of good things in your condition. You could have died for people. You could have given all your wealth to the poor. You could have done great things in your condition. Your father's still relating to you in your position in 1st Adam, under law. And if you could get out of your position by doing good things in your condition, that means you can get saved without grace, but through good works. So if you can fall out of your position in last Adam and go... Because you do bad things in your condition, you're preaching a stronger last Adam. I mean, a stronger first Adam than last Adam. Now, what I've just said may freak the devil out and freak religion out, but I have preached self evident truth in its context. And so here i closing for the fourth time. The, the increase of the glory should be ever increasing. The church should never, ever have to go and have a revival again. Because it's an ever increasing glory. We're always going back to revival. They say, too much sin came into our condition. No, revival start when there's a lot of sin. It's, glory increases when we believe the true gospel. Not, oh, we're a grace church. Stop those tags. We're not grace churches. We believe in the gospel. We're the church. We believe in the gospel Paul preached. The gospel of the kingdom, the gospel of the kingdom, not the gospel of I do my own thing, is a kingdom. There's a dominion of a king who loves us and gave us the gospel of the kingdom. Citizens of the kingdom first before citizens of any other land. So the optics of this is that if you if you choose to go into unbelief and go back under the law, you do not lose, you do not lose your position. But the problem with that is now you are forcing God to have to look at you through the optics of the law. Because that's what you want to in your unbelief. So he starts looking at you through the optics of the law, not just the Ten Commandments like we think they are, the true spirituality of the law that has got exactitudes. That you if the law studied each one of us now with exactitudes of the law, every one of us would be guilty of something right now. Maybe he's saying he's going too long, I wish he'd stopped. No, <laughs>
0: No, I'm joking.
1: Okay. So when God... Thank you. No, Glenda's going to get worried by that. I, I, I love that man and he, I've got a crush on him. But Glenda, I will stop soon. Because I fear you. Okay. But now, when God has to look at you through the optics, His view and opinion of you through the law, then His glory has to fade. He has to walk away from you. Under, under Abraham, which is a covenant of faith and grace, no law for 430 years, Uh, Moses was still under that before Sinai. And Moses could look face to face with God. When he was on the top of Mount Sinai before the law had been given, he was still under grace and faith covenant, not the law. And so he could could speak face to face. It actually means mouth to mouth. Spirit words imparted from God's mouth into his mouth. A friend of God, Moses. But after the law, he says, show me your glory. And God says, I can't show you my glory. You're done. He says, I've got to hide you in the cliff of the rock, and you'll see my backside walking away from you parts, Which means under the law, God's glory is always having to walk away from you. It's a fading glory. And people will fast and we will get the glory back. No, you won't get it that way. You'll get a temporary condemnation glory that will fade again. So under the righteousness that is extrinsic to you, not to do with your obedience or disobedience, when you have faith in that righteousness, God says, okay, I'll look at you through the lenses of the finished work of the cross. And I'll see you in your position. I will see you as innocent, just as if you've never sinned, just as if you've always done the right thing. And that's your status. And stop being confused by your state. It will change. Abraham changed in his condition, became a man that was obedient and faithful. He made some big mistakes. I wouldn't have got away with what he got away with. But even when he did that, God didn't didn't rebuke Abraham. He rebuked the Pharaoh. Because he's treating Abraham as righteous and innocent. So Abraham couldn't make a mistake. He just came out with gold and silver. And he, and he lied, friends. I mean, that's not last sensing last because he stayed in his position and he was a man of faith. And those who have faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. There's great wealth in this gospel to be a blessing to nations. That's, the gospel God preached to Abraham is the gospel. Paul says that God preached the gospel in advance to Abraham. The gospel isn't your sins are just forgiven. The gospel is you are righteous without the law. The gospel is I empower you to bless nations. I empower you to make your name great. I empower you to make Highway Community Church's name great. I empower you to bless you, to capacitate you to be a blessing to nations. And you live for the nations, not for yourself and I. And if people curse you, the curse will bounce right off you and go straight back to them. And the, those that bless you are blessed. That's the gospel. And God swore an oath, I bless the seed of Abraham. He wasn't talking about Israel, he's talking about you. And Galatians 3 16 says, God did not speak to plural seed, but to singular seed, which is Christ. And me we think, oh, it's all about Christ. But then in verse 28 and 29, he says there's no male nor female, no, no gender problems, no Jew, nor Greek, no racial problems, but all are one in Christ. For if verse 29, for if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and an heir according to the oath, the promise. What is the promise of the gospel? Righteousness. Peace. Joy. Humility. Obedience. Boldness. A capacity to bless from this house. Increasing nations. That the people who are under that oath of blessing. The seed of Abraham. We can stop the child sex trafficking. We can stop human trafficking. I speak to governors in White House. When I was in... In Washington, I met, that worked with the corridors of power of believers that are in high places, and our collaboration includes the most amazing men and women that are involved. We've got uh, so many people like to talk about. We, we, we are the church, but actually the preachers, we have a small part. That's what we do. We empower God's people, but we have a small part. Most of you, all of you, you've got the main feature. You're out there in the world. You've got the main thing, ingenuity, creativity, inventions to upgrade human life to affect governments, to affect economies. The blessing doesn't say, I'm just forgiven, a forgiven sinner, hallelujah. Saved by grace, and I'm still a sinner. No, what is, that's no gospel at all. And the fruit of that gospel has caused so much tragedy, travesty, and trauma on the spread. It's a false gospel. It's no gospel at all. It dresses up, but it's, it's horrible. God looks at you through the optics of the finished work of the sun. He sees you in the perfect version that He foreknew you before time began. And He loves you. He says, well, my behavior is not good enough. But you're not in an intrinsic covenant. You are in an extrinsic covenant. And so when He sees you through the optics of the finished work of the cross, He says, put more glory on them. Put more glory on them. And then all the highway community people who are already doing this, but they will increase in the understanding and the capacity of this. They will carry the glory in on their shoulders every Sunday morning. And Eden-like atmospheres will manifest, collate and collide and there will be a pervading influence further because the anointing is local but the glory is pervasive. Let's read that scripture as these guys are getting ready. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and let's read it from verse 7. Now read this with a quieter but more gentle voice. And just, just read the self-evidence of this truth. Here. Okay. One, two, three, go. Now, if the ministry of death, carved in letters on stone, came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze on Moses' face because of its glory, which was being brought to an end, will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? For if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, the ministry of righteousness must far exceed it in Indeed, in this case, what once had glory has come come to have no glory at all because of the glory that surpasses it. For if what was being brought to an end came with glory, much more will what is permanent have glory. Since we have such a hope, we are very bold. What's one of the fruits of believing this gospel? Boldness. Boldness before the throne of grace. Lift your hands when you're sitting there and just thank you for the gospel. Thank you for Jesus. Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will be done, but your will be done. I'm going through with this, Father, for the joy set before me. I'll endure the cross, the scorn, the shame. Being that subject to the hands of evil men, I'll endure it for a bride that I'll cover in my glory. She will affect the very atmosphere of nations by the gospel God preached to Abraham and advance. Father, we thank you that we never want to become arrogant or prideful and think we really know everything about the gospel. Lord, we know that until we see the full fruit of the gospel, we still have a process of understanding and a need for greater clarity and revelation. We know this gospel can produce blind eyes opening deaf ears. We know this gospel can produce supernatural provision and resources and opportunities and favor. We know this gospel can break the epidemic of mental illness and the terrible feelings of depression that is in our society because of rejection and fear and codependencies and trying to find their value from other people's approval. We thank you this gospel has every essence and every ingredient and every component in it and every part of the recipe of heaven to release redemption of every human being on this planet. And we long, Father, for all of South Africa to be washed by this beautiful gospel of the people. To see the rainbow nations shine. We thank you that your word declares that it's your eternal intent is that now through the church, not individuals, through the church, the manifold, the radiant, colorful spectrum of God's wisdom through the cross be revealed to the powers and authorities and principalities. Lord, without any condemnation or worldly sorrow, we humble ourselves and joyfully and willingly with godly sorrow. We repent, Father, if we've become blasé with the gospel. We've had an attitude of we know it all. We've become bored. We're looking for novel truths. And we want to go into some Gnostic, elitist, weird, spooky, sp- fairy, new agey spirituality. We rebuke that spirit and declare it's unbelief. It is witchcraft. It is rebellion and fear and pride. We say your gospel is enough, your grace is sufficient. We can finish our race, we can finish our assignment, and break that finish line with our heads held high and say, "I'm not ashamed of this gospel." Stand together if you can, please. And Gareth, I know you'll just—you'll just know the most perfect, beautiful face-to-face song about the glory, right? I just know, I just know. And your son, you two, look at you guys, father and son. What incredible! Amazing, amazing. Both got golden voices. Golden voices. Just for a moment, just lift your hands and let the Father love you. Just let Him lavish His love on you. I said the other night, our biggest, a lot, our greatest instinct is love. And our biggest fear that produces anxiety is the fear of not being loved. But when you know the gospel, it's impossible. Do not experience the Father's love. Father, I ask in the name of Jesus, by the Holy Spirit's presence and power, would you wrap the arms of Jesus over every man and woman, every brother and sister in this place. And if there's someone who's never been born again, never received Christ into their life, thank you they've heard the gospel tonight, and the good news. And if you want to be saved tonight, just say, Jesus, come into my life. I confess you as my Lord. I believe in my heart that you made righteousness available to me. And with my heart, I believe unto righteousness as a gift. And with my mouth, I agree. If that's you tonight, just say that quietly where you are. Receive Jesus.